Section 16 of Jeanne d'Arc, Her Life and Death. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jeanne d'Arc, Her Life and Death by Margaret O. Oliphant. The Public Examination, February 1431, Part 2. Asked how she distinguished the points on which she was allowed to speak from the others, she answered that on some points she had asked permission to speak, and not on others, adding that she would rather have been torn by wild horses than to have come to France, unless by the license of God. Asked how it was that she put on a man's dress, she answered, that dress appeared to her a small matter, that she did not adopt that dress by the counsel of any man, and that she neither put on a dress nor did anything, but according as God or the angels commanded her to do so. Asked if she knew whether such a command to assume the dress of a man was lawful, she answered, All that I did, I did by the precepts of our Lord, and if I were bidden to wear another dress, I would do so, because it was at the bidding of God. Asked if she had done it by the orders of Robert de Baudricourt, she answered, No. Asked if she thought that she had done well in assuming a man's dress, answered that, as all she did was by the command of the Lord, she believed that she had done well, and expected a good guarantee and good succor. Asked if, in this particular case of assuming the dress of a man, she thought she had done well, answered that nothing in the world had made her do it but the command of God. She was then asked whether light always accompanied the voices when they came to her. She answered, with an evident reference to her first interview with Charles, that there were many lights on every side as was fit. It is not only to you that light comes, or you have not all the light to yourself, a curious phrase. Asked if there was an angel over the head of the king when she saw him for the first time, she answered, by the blessed Mary, if there were, I know not, I saw none. Asked if there was light, she answered, there were about three hundred soldiers, and fifty of them held torches, without counting any spiritual light, and rarely do I have the revelations without light. Asked if her king had faith in what she said, she answered that he had good signs, and also by his clergy. Asked what revelations her king had, she answered, You shall have nothing from me this year. Then added that for the three weeks she was cross-examined by the clergy, both in the town of Chinon and at Poitiers, and that her king had signs concerning her, before he believed in her. And the clergy of his party had found nothing in her in respect to her faith that was not good. Asked whether she gone to the church of St. Catherine of Fierbois, answered yes, and that she had there heard three masses in one day, and from thence went to Chinon. She added that she had sent a letter thence to the king, in which it was contained that she sent this to know if she might come to the town in which the king was, for that she had travelled a hundred and fifty leagues to come to him, and to bring him help, for she knew much good concerning him. And she thought it was contained in this letter 
that she should recognize the king among all the rest. She said besides that she had a sword, which was given to her at Vaucouleurs. She said also that, being in Tours or at Chinon, she sent for a sword which was in the church of St. Catherine of Fierbois, behind the altar, and that, when it was found, it was rusty. Asked how she knew about the sword, she answered that it was rusty because of being in the ground, and there were five crosses on it, and that she knew the sword by her voices and not by any man's report. She wrote to the ecclesiastics of the place where it was, and asked them for this sword, and they sent it to her. It was found not much below the ground behind the altar. She was not sure if it was before or behind the altar, but wrote that it was behind the altar, and when it was found, the clergy cleaned it and rubbed off the rust, which came off easily, and it was an armorer of Tours who went to fetch it. The clergy made a scabbard for it, before sending it to the said Jean, and they of Tours made another, so that it had two scabbards, one of crimson velvet and one of cloth of gold. And she herself procured another of strong leather. She said also that, when she was captured, she had not that sword. Said also that she continued to wear the said sword until she left Saint-Denis, after the assault on Paris. Asked what benediction she made, or if she made any on this sword, she answered that she made no benediction, nor knew how to make one, but that she loved the sword, because it had come to her from the church of the blessed Catherine, whom she loved much. Asked if she had placed it on the altar at the village of Coulange, Levineuse, or elsewhere, placing it there that it might bring good luck, she answered that she knew nothing of this. Asked if she did not pray that the sword might have good fortune, it is good to know that I wish all my armor, harnesseum meum, gallique monharnois, to be very fortunate. Asked where she had left the sword, answered that she had deposited a sword and armor at Saint-Denis, but it was not this sword. She added that she had it in Ligny, but that she afterwards wore the sword which had been taken from a Burgundian, which was a good sword for war, and gave good strokes, Gallique de Bonbouf and de Bontorchon. Said also that, to tell where she left it had nothing to do with the trial, and she would answer nothing. She said also that her brothers had everything that belonged to her, her horses, swords, and everything, and that she believed they were worth, in all, about twelve thousand francs. She was also asked whether, when she was at Orléans, she had a standard, and what color it was. Answered that she had a standard, the field of which was sown with lilies, and on it was a figure of the world with angels on each side. It was white, and made of a stuff called Bucassin, upon which was written the name Jesus Maria, so that all might see, and it was fringed with silk. Asked if the name Jesus Maria was written above or below or at the side, she answered, at the side. Asked if she loved her sword or standard best, she answered that she loved her standard best. Asked why she had that picture on the standard, she answered, I have sufficiently told you that I did nothing but by the command of God. She added that she herself carried her standard when in battle, that she might not hurt anyone, and said that she had never killed any men. 
asked how many men her king gave her when she began her work, answered from ten to twelve thousand men, and that she attacked first the Bastille of Saint-Loup at Orléans, and afterwards that of the bridge. Asked from which Bastille it was that her men were driven back, she answered that she did not remember, adding that she had been sure that she could raise the siege at Orléans, for it had been so revealed to her, and that she told this to her king before it occurred. Asked whether, when she made assault, she told her men that all the arrows, stones, cannonballs, etc., would be intercepted by her, she answered, no, that more than a hundred were wounded, that what she had said to her people was that they should have no doubts, for they should certainly raise the siege of Orléans. She said also that, in attacking the Bastille of the bridge, she herself was wounded by an arrow in the neck, and was much comforted by St. Catherine, and was healed in fifteen days, but that she never gave up riding and working all that time. Asked if she knew that she would be wounded, she answered that she knew it well, and had told her king, but that, notwithstanding, she went about her business. It was revealed to her by the voices of her two saints, the blessed Catherine and the blessed Margaret. She said, besides, that she was the first to place a scaling ladder on the Bastille of the bridge, and as she raised it, she was struck in the neck. She was then asked why she did not treat with the captain of Jarjot. She answered that the lords of her party had replied to the English, who had asked for a truce of fifteen days, that they could not have it, but that they might retire, they and their horses, at once. She had said, for her part, that if they retired in their doublets and tunics, their lives should be spared, otherwise the city would be taken by storm. Asked if she had consulted with her council, that is, with her voices, whether the truce should be granted or not, she answered that she did not remember. It will be remarked, as the slow examination goes on, day after day, that Jeanne, becoming at moments impatient, sometimes gives a rough answer, and at other times plays a little with her questioner, as if in contempt. By the blessed Mary, I know not, is evidently an outburst of impatience at the exhausting, exasperating folly of some of these questions, and this will be further visible in future sittings. It seems very likely that the reference to Poitiers, which was an excellent suggestion, commanding itself to her invariable good sense, came from the kind priest who tried to serve her as he best could. But there are other answers, a little incoherent, which look as if Frère Isambard, if it were he, had confused her in her own response, without conveying anything better to her mind, especially on the occasions when she refuses to reply, and then does so, abandoning her ground at once. Her patience and steadiness are quite extraordinary, however, even in the less self-collected moments. Thus end the proceedings of the fourth day. The fifth day began with the usual dispute about the oath, Jeanne still retaining her reservation with the greatest firmness. She seems, however, at the end, to have repeated her oath to answer everything that had to do with the trial, and as much as I say, I will say as if I were before the Pope of Rome. These words must have given the Magister Beaupère an admirable occasion for introducing one of the things charged against her, for which there was actual proof, 
her letter to the Comte d'Armagnac in respect to the Pope. He seized upon it evidently with eagerness, and asked her which she held to be the true Pope. To this she answered quietly, Are there two? The most confusing reply. She was asked if she had received letters from the Comte d'Armagnac, asking to know which of the three existing popes he ought to obey. She answered that she had his letter, and had replied to it, saying, among other things, that when she was in Paris and at rest she would answer him, and added that she was on the point of mounting her horse when she gave that reply. The copy of the letter and the reply being read to her, she was asked if that was what she had said, to which she replied that she had answered his letter in part, not in full. Asked if she knew the counsels of the King of Kings, so as to be able to say which the Count should obey, she answered that she knew nothing. Asked if she was in doubt as to which the Count ought to obey, she replied that she knew not which to bid him obey, but that she, the said Jeanne, held and believed that we ought to obey our Pope who was in Rome, that, as for what he asked, that she should tell him which God desired him to obey, she had said she knew nothing, but she sent much to him, which was not put in writing. And as for herself, she believed in the Lord Pope of Rome. Asked whether, in respect to the three pontiffs she had received counsel, she answered that she had neither written nor made to be written anything about the three pontiffs. And this she swore on her oath. Asked if she were in the habit of putting on her letters the name Jesus Maria with a cross, answered that she did so sometimes but not always, and that sometimes she put a cross to shew that these letters were not to be taken seriously as likely to fall into the enemy's hands. Some questions were, then, put to her about her letters to the Duke of Bedford and to the English king, and copies were read to her, to which she objected on some small points, but mistakenly, it would seem, as that she had summoned them to surrender to the king, while the scribe had put, surrender to the maid. She said, however, that they were her letters, and that she held by them. She added that before seven years the English would lose more than they had lost at Orléans, and that their cause would be lost in France. She said also that the sad English should have greater disasters than they had yet had in France, and that God would give greater victories to France. Asked how she knew this, she replied, I know it by the revelations made to me, and that it will happen in seven years, and I might well be angry that it is deferred so long. Asked when this would happen, she said that she knew neither the day nor the hour. She was tormented a little further as to the dates, whether this would happen before the Saint-Jean or before the Saint-Martin in winter, but made no answer, except that before the Saint-Martin in winter they should see many things, and it might be that the English should fail. As a matter of fact, Paris opened its gates to Charles VII within the seven years specified, so that Jeanne's prophecy may be held to have been fulfilled. We then come once more to a long and profitless interrogatory upon her saints, in which the crowd of judges forgot their dignity and overwhelmed her with a flood of often very foolish and sometimes worse than foolish questions. Asked how she knew the future, 
she answered that she knew it by St. Catherine and St. Margaret. Asked if St. Gabriel was with St. Michael when he came to her, she answered that she could not remember. Asked if she saw them always in the same dress, answered yes, and they were crowned very richly. Of their other garments she could not speak, she knew nothing of their tunics. Asked how she knew whether they were men or women, answered that she knew well by their voices, which revealed them to her, and that she knew nothing save by revelation and the precepts of God. Asked what appearances she saw, she answered that she saw faces. Asked if these saints had hair, she answered, it is good to know. Asked if there was anything between their crowns and their hair, answered, no. Asked if their hair was long and hanging down, answered, I know nothing about it. She also said that the voices were beautiful, sweet, and humble, and that she understood them well. Asked how they could speak when they had no bodies, she answered, I refer it to God. She repeated that the voices were beautiful, humble, and sweet, and that they could speak French. Asked if St. Margaret did not speak English, answered, How could she speak English when she was not on the English side? This would seem to infer that the St. Margaret referred to was not the legendary St. Margaret of the Dragon, but St. Margaret of Scotland, well known in France from the long connection between those two countries, and a popular medieval saint. She would naturally have spoken English, being a Saxon, but also quite naturally would have been against the English as a Scottish queen. But of these refinements, it is very unlikely that Jeanne knew anything, and her prompt and somewhat sharp reply evidently cut the inquiry short. The next question was, did they wear gold rings in their ears or elsewhere, these crowned saints? To which she answered a little contemptuously, I know nothing about it. She was then asked if she herself had rings on which, turning to us the aforesaid bishop, she said, You have one of mine, give it back to me. She then said that the Burgundians had her other ring, and asked of us if we had the ring to show it to her. Asked who gave her this ring, answered, her father or her mother, and that the name Jesus Maria was written upon it, but that she knew not who put it there, nor even whether there was a stone in the ring. It was given to her in the village of Don Remy. She added that her brother gave her another ring which we had, and said that she desired that it might be given to the church. A sudden change was now made in the cross-examination, according to the methods of that operation, throwing her back without warning upon the village superstitions of Don Remy, the magic tree and fountain. Many of the questions which follow are so trivial, and are so evidently instinct with evil meaning, that it seems a wrong to Beaupère to impute the whole of the interrogatory to him. Other questions were evidently interposed by the excited assembly asked if St. Catherine and St. Margaret talked with her under the tree of which mention had been made above, she answered, I know nothing about it. Asked if the saints were seen at the fountain near the tree, answered, yes, that she had heard them there. But what her saints promised to her, there or elsewhere, she answered, that nothing was promised except by permission from God. Asked what promises were made to her, she answered, this has nothing at all to do with your trial, but added that, among other things, they said to her that her king should be restored to his kingdom, and that his adversaries should be destroyed. 
she said also that they promised to take her, the said Jeanne, to paradise, as she had asked them to do. Asked if she had any other promises, she said there was one promise that had nothing to do with the trial, but that in three months she would tell them what that other promise was. Asked if the voices told her she would be set free from her prison in three months, she answered, This does not concern your trial, nor do I know when I shall be set free. And she added that those who wished to send her out of this world might well go before her. Asked if her counsel did not tell her when she should be set free from her present prison, answered, Ask me this in three months' time. I can promise you as much as that, but added, you may ask those present on their oaths, if this has anything to do with the trial. Startled by this suggestion, the judges seemed to have held a hurried consultation among themselves, to see whether these matters did really touch the trial. The result apparently decided them to return again to the question of the local superstitions of Don Remy, the only point on which there seemed a chance of breaking down the extraordinarily just and steadfast intelligence of the girl who stood before them. After this pause, she resumed, apparently not in answer to any question. I have well told you that there were things you should not know, and some time I must needs be set free. But I must have permission if I speak. Therefore, I will ask to have delay in this. Asked if her voices forbade her to speak the truth, she said, do you expect me to tell you things that concern the king of France? There is a great deal here that has nothing to do with the trial. She said also that she knew that her king should enjoy the kingdom of France, as well as she knew that they were there before her in judgment. She added that she would have been dead, but for the revelations which comforted her daily. She was then asked what she had done with her mandragora, mandrake. She answered that she had no mandragora, nor had ever had. She had heard say that near her village there was one, but had never seen it. She had heard say that it was a dangerous thing, and that it was wicked to keep it, but knew nothing of its use. Asked in what place this mandrake was, and what she had heard of it, she said that she had heard that it grew under the tree of which mention had been made, but did not know the place. She said also that she had heard that above the mandragora was a hazel tree asked what she heard was done with the mandragora answered that she had heard that it brought money but did not believe it and added that her voices had never told her anything about it asked what was the appearance of saint michael when she saw him first she answered that she saw no crown and knew nothing of his dress asked if he was naked she answered do you think god has nothing to clothe him with Asked if he had hair, she answered, Why should it have been cut? She said further that she had not seen the blessed Michael since she left the castle of Courtois, nor did she see him often. At last she said that she knew not whether he had hair or not. Asked whether he carried scales, she answered, I know nothing of it, but added that she had much joy in seeing him, and she knew when she saw him that she was not in a state of sin. She also said that St. Catherine and St. Margaret often made her confess to them, and said that if she had been in a state of sin, it was without knowing it. She was then asked whether, when she confessed, she believed herself to be in a state of mortal sin. 
she answered that she knew not whether she had been in that state, but did not believe she had done the works of sin. It would not have pleased God, she said, that I should have been so, nor would it have pleased him that I should have done the works of sin by which my soul should have been burdened. She was then asked what sign she gave to the king that she came to him from God. She answered, I have told you always that nothing should draw this from me. Ask me no more. Asked if she had not sworn to reveal what was asked of her touching the trial, answered, I have told you that I will tell you nothing that was for our king, and of this which belongs to him I will not speak. Asked if she knew the sign which she gave to the king, she answered, You shall know nothing from me. When it was said to her that this did concern the trial, she answered, Of that which I have promised to keep secret, I shall tell you nothing. And further she said, I promised in that place, and I could not tell you without perjuring myself. Asked, To whom she promised? Answered, That she had promised to Saints Catherine and Margaret, and this was shown to the king. She also said she had promised it to these two saints, because they had required it of her. And the same Jean had done this at their request. Too many people would have asked me concerning it, if I had not promised to the aforesaid saints. She was then asked, when she showed this sign to the king, if there were others with him. She answered that to her there was no one near him, even though many people might have been present. As a matter of fact, the sign was given to Charles when he talked with the maid apart in a recess, the great hall being full of the court and followers, so that this was strictly true. Asked further if she saw a crown over the head of her king when she showed him this sign, but replied, I cannot answer you without perjury. Asked further if her king had a crown when he was at Rheims. Answered that in her opinion her king had a crown which he found at Rheims, but a very fine one was afterwards brought for him. He did this to hasten matters at the desire of the city of Rheims, but if he had been more certain, he could have had a crown a thousand times richer. All this is very obscure. Asked if she had seen this crown, she answered, I could not tell you without perjury, but I heard that it was a very rich one. It was then determined to conclude for this day. On the sixth day, there was again the same questions about the oath, ending in the usual way, and the cross-examination was at once continued. She was asked if she would say whether St. Michael had wings, and what bodies and members had St. Catherine and St. Margaret, and she answered, I have told you what I know, and will make no other reply. She said, moreover, that when she saw St. Michael and St. Catherine and St. Margaret, she knew at once that they were saints of paradise asked if she saw anything more than their faces, she answered, I have told you all I know of them, and I would rather have had my head taken off than tell you all I know. She then said that, in whatever concerned the trial, she would speak freely. Asked if she believed that St. Michael and St. Gabriel had natural heads, she answered, I saw them with my eyes, and I believe that they are as firmly as I believe that God is asked if she believed that God made them in the form in which she saw them, she answered, yes. Asked if she believed that God had created them in the same form from the beginning, answered, you shall have no more for the present, except what I have already said. This subject was then dropped, and the examiner made another leap forward to a different part of her life. 
Did you know by revelation that you should break prison? he said. To this Jeanne answered indignantly, This has nothing to do with your trial. Would you have me speak against myself? Again questioned what her voices had said to her, in respect to her attempts at escape, she again answered, This has nothing to do with the trial. I go back to the trial. If all your questions were about that, I should tell you all. She said, besides, on her faith, that she knew neither the day nor the hour when she should escape. She was then asked what the voices said to her generally, and answered, In truth, they tell me I shall be freed, but neither the day nor the hour, and that I ought to speak boldly and with a glad countenance. She was then asked whether, when first she saw her king, he asked her whether it was by revelation that she had assumed the dress of a man. She replied, I have answered this. I cannot recollect whether he asked me, but it is written in the book at Poitiers. Asked whether the doctors who examined her there, some for a month, some for three weeks, had asked her about her change of dress, she answered, I don't remember, but I know they asked me when I assumed the dress of a man, and I told them it was in the town of Vaucouleur. Asked whether these doctors had inquired whether it was her voices which had made her take that dress, answered, I don't remember. Asked if her queen wished her to change her dress when she first saw her, answered, I don't remember. Asked if her king, queen, and all of her party did not ask her to lay aside the dress of a man, she answered, This has nothing to do with the trial. Asked if the same was not requested of her in the castle of Beaurevoir, she answered, It is true. And I replied that I could not lay it aside without the permission of God. She said further that the demoiselle of Luxembourg, aunt of Jeanne's capture and a very old woman, and the lady of Beaurevoir offered her a woman's dress, or stuff to make one, and begged her to wear it, but she replied that she had not yet the permission of her lord, and that it was not yet time. Asked if Monsieur Jean de Précy and others at Aha had offered her a woman's dress, she answered, he and others have often asked it of me. Asked if she thought she would have done wrong in putting on a woman's dress, she answered, that it was better to obey her sovereign lord, that is, God. She said also that if she had done it, she would rather have done it at the request of these two ladies than of any other in France except her queen. Asked if, when God revealed to her that she should change her dress, it was by the voice of St. Michael, St. Catherine, or St. Margaret, she answered, You shall hear no more about it. Asked when the king first employed her, and her standard was made, whether the men-at-arms and others who took part in the war did not have flags imitated from hers. She asked, It is well to know that the lords retain their own arms. She also added that her brothers-in-arms made such pennons as pleased them. Asked how these were made, if they were of linen or cloth, answered that they were of white satin, some of them with lilies, that she had but two or three lances in her own company, but that in the rest of the army some carried pennons like hers, but only to distinguish them from others. Asked if the banners were often renewed, answered, I know not. When the staff was broken, it was renewed. Asked if she had not said that the pennants copied from hers were fortunate, answered that she had said, 
go in boldly among the English, and that she had done the same herself. Asked if she said that they should have good luck if they bore the banners well, answered that she had told them what would happen and what should still happen. Asked if she had caused holy water to be sprinkled on the pennons when they were new, she answered, that has nothing to do with the trial, but added that if she did so sprinkle them, she was not instructed to answer that question now. Asked if the others put Jesus Maria upon their pennons, she answered, by my faith, I know nothing about it. Asked if she had ever carried or caused to be carried in a procession round a church or altar, the linen of which the pennons were made, answered, no, that she had never seen anything of the kind done. Asked when she was before Jarjot what it was that she wore behind her helmet, and if she had not something round it, she answered, by my faith there was nothing. Asked if she knew a certain brother Richard, she answered, I never saw him till I was before Toy. Asked what cheer brother Richard made to her, answered, that she thought the people of Toy had sent him to her, doubting whether she had come on the part of God, and that as he approached her he made a sign of the cross, and sprinkled holy water. She said to him, Come on boldly, I shall not fly away. Asked if she had seen or had caused to be made any images or pictures of herself, she answered that at Aha she had seen a picture in the hands of a Scot, where she was represented fully armed, kneeling on one knee, and presenting a letter to the king, but that she had never caused any image or picture of herself to be made. Asked concerning a table in the house of her host, upon which were painted three women, with justice, peace, union, inscribed beneath, answered that she knew nothing of it. Asked if she knew that those of her party caused masses and prayers to be made in her honor, she answered that she knew not, and if they did so, it was not by any command of hers, but that if they did so, her opinion was that they did no wrong. Asked if those of her party firmly believed that she was sent from God, she answered, I know not whether they believed it, but even if they did not believe it, I am nonetheless sent on the part of God. Asked whether she thought that to believe that she was sent from God was a worthy faith, she answered that if they believed that she was sent from God, they were not mistaken. Asked if she knew what her party meant by kissing her feet and hands and her garments, answered that many people did it, but that her hands were kissed as little as she could help it. The poor people, however, came to her of their own free will, because she never oppressed them, but protected them as far as was in her power. Asked what reverence the people of Toy made to her, she answered, none at all, and added that she believed Brother Richard came into Toy with her army, but that she had not seen him coming in. Asked if he had not preached at the gates when she came, answered that she scarcely paused there at all, and knew nothing of any sermon. Asked how long she was at home, and answered four or five days. Asked whether she baptized, stood godmother to children there, she answered, to one at Toy, but did not remember any at home or at Chateau Thierry. But there were two at Saint-Denis, and willingly she called the boys Charles in honor of her king, and the girls Jeanne, according to what their mothers wished. 
asked if the good women of the town did not touch with their rings the rings she wore, she answered that many women touched her hands and her rings, but she did not know why they did it. Asked what she did with the gloves in which her king was consecrated, she answered that gloves were distributed to the knights and nobles that came there, and there was one who lost his, but she did not say that she would find it for him. Also she said that her standard was in the church at Haim, and she believed near the altar, and she herself had carried it for a short time, but did not know whether Brother Richard had held it. She was then asked if she communicated and went to confession often while moving about the country, and if she received the sacrament in her male costume, to which she answered, yes, but without her arms. She was then questioned about a horse, belonging to the Bishop of Saint-Lys, which had not suited her, a matter completely without importance. The inference intended was that it was taken from him without being paid for, but there was no evidence that the maid knew anything about it. We then come to the incident of Lagny. She was asked how old the child was which she saw at Lagny, and answered three days. It had been brought to Lagny to the church of Notre Dame, and she was told that all the maids in Lagny were before Our Lady, praying for it, and she also wished to go and pray God and Our Lady that its life might come back and she went, and prayed with the rest, and finally life appeared. It yawned three times, and was baptized and buried in consecrated ground. It had given no sign of life for three days, and was black as her coat, but when it yawned, its color began to come back. She was there with the other maids on her knees before Our Lady to make her prayer. The reader must understand that this was no special appeal to Jeanne's miraculous power, but a custom of that intense and tender charity with which the Church of Rome corrects her dogmatism upon questions of salvation. A child, unbaptized, could not be buried in consecrated ground, and was subject to all the sorrows of the unredeemed. But who could doubt that the priest would be easily persuaded by some wavering of the tapers on the altar upon the little dead face, some flicker of his compassionate eyelids, that sufficient life had come back to permit the holy rite to be administered. The whole little scene is affecting in the extreme, the young creatures all kneeling, fervently appealing to the maiden mother, the priest ready to take instant advantage of any possible flicker, the maid of friends, no conspicuous figure, but weeping and praying among the rest. There was no thought here of the raising of the dead, the prayer was for breath enough only to allow of the holy observance, the blessed water, the last possibility of human love and effort. Jeanne was then questioned concerning Catherine of La Rochelle, the supposed prophetess, who had been played against her by La Tremouille and his followers, and narrated how she had watched two nights to see the mysterious lady clothed in cloth of gold, who was said to appear to Catherine, but had not seen her, and that she had advised the woman to return to her husband and children. Catherine's mission was to go through the good towns with heralds and trumpets, to call upon those who had money or treasure of any kind to give it to the king, and she professed to have a supernatural knowledge where such money was hidden. No doubt La Tremouille must have thought that to get money, which was so scarce, in such a simple way, was worth trying at least. But John's opinion was that it was folly, and that there was nothing in it, an opinion fully verified. 
Catherine's advice had been that Jeanne should go to the Duke of Burgundy to make peace, but Jeanne had answered that no peace could be made save at the end of the lands. She was then asked about the siege of La Charité. She answered that she had made an assault, but had not sprinkled holy water or caused it to be sprinkled. Asked why she did not enter the city, as she had the command of God to do so, she replied, Who told you that I was commanded to enter? Asked if she had not had the advice of her voices, she answered that she had desired to go into France, meaning towards Paris, but the generals had told her that it was better to go first to La Charité. She was then asked if she had been long in the tower of Beauvoir. Answered that she was there about four months, and that when she heard the English come, she was angry and much troubled. Her voices forbade her several times to attempt to escape, but at last, in the doubt she had of the English, she threw herself down, commending herself to God and to Our Lady, and was much hurt. But after she had done this, the voice of St. Catherine said to her not to be afraid, that she should be healed, and that Compiègne would be relieved. Also, she said that she prayed always for the relief of Compiègne, with her counsel. Asked what she said after she had thrown herself down, she answered that some said that she was dead, and as soon as the Burgundians saw that she was not dead, they told her that she had thrown herself down. Asked if she had said that she would rather die than fall into the hands of the English, she answered that she would much rather have rendered her soul to God than have fallen into the hands of the English. Asked if she was not in a great rage, and if she did not blaspheme the name of God, she answered that she never said evil of any saint, and that it was not her custom to swear. Asked respecting Soissons, when the captain had surrendered the town, whether she had not cursed God and said that if she had gotten hold of the captain she would have cut him into four pieces, she answered that she never swore by any saint, and those who said so had not understood her. At this point, the public trial of Jeanne came to a sudden end. Either the feeling produced in the town, and even among the judges, by her undeviating, simple, and dignified testimony, had begun to be more than her persecutors had calculated upon, or else they hoped to make shorter work with her when deprived of the free air of publicity, the sight, no doubt, of some sympathetic faces, and the consciousness of being still able to vindicate her cause and to maintain her faith before men. Two or three fierce inquisitors within her cell, and the bishop, that men without heart or pity at their head, might still tear admissions from her weariness, which a certain sympathetic atmosphere in a large auditory, swept by waves of natural feeling, would strengthen her to keep back. The bishop made a proclamation that, in order not to vex and tire his learned associates, he would have the minutes of the previous sittings reduced into form, and submitted to them for judgment, while he himself carried on, apart, what further interrogatory was necessary. We are told that he was warned by a counsellor of the town that secret examinations without witnesses or advocate on the prisoner's side were illegal, but Monseigneur de Beauvoir was well aware that anything would be legal which effected his purpose, and that once Jean was disposed of, the legality or illegality of the proceedings would be of small importance. I have thought it right to give to the best of my power a literal translation of these examinations, notwithstanding their great length, 
as, except in one book, now out of print and very difficult to procure, no such detailed translation, so far as I am aware, exists, and it seems to me that, even at the risk of fatiguing the reader, always capable of skipping at his pleasure, it is better to unfold the complete scene with all its tedium and badgering, which brings out by every touch the extraordinary self-command, valor, and sense of this wonderful maid, the youngest, perhaps, and most ignorant of the assembly, yet meeting all with a modest and unabashed countenance, true, pure, and natural, a far greater miracle in her simplicity and noble steadfastness than even in the wonders she had done. End of section 16